What is up, sweet friends, and welcome to Imperfect Success, the podcast teaching you, a success-driven perfectionist, how to achieve your goals imperfectly. Today, we are sitting down with therapist Dr. Morgan Levy to talk about all things high achieving and where the F it comes from. How do we become high achievers? What happens in our childhood to make that high expectation so effing high? and so much more. This is a really meaty episode, so let's dive in. My name is Nicole Baker-Holloman, coach for perfectionists, recovering perfectionist herself, and striver of imperfect success. I am so excited to be here today with Morgan. I wanted to have Morgan on for a while. I'm a huge admirer of her work and mainly because she is just so good at explaining things in a way that makes you feel like you are learning and totally seen at the same time. It's probably because she is a recovering perfectionist herself. But what absolutely blew my mind in this episode is her just dropping these truth bombs like crazy with these super high tactical tools that we can use right now, like why high achievers often link love and praise and self-worth all together for constant performance starting at such a young age and why we do that and how it's the foundation for our perfectionist tendencies. Wow. Um, Woof. I felt so seen in this episode. I do want to say before we dive into the interview, there were some mic issues on my end, so I deeply apologize for that, but please know that this interview is so freaking good and we did everything we could in the back end to make the audio as best as possible. So without further ado, let us dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Morgan Levy. Welcome Morgan Levy to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm jazzed to have you here because this is a topic that I don't think we can talk enough about. And I also think we don't think enough about, but before we dive into like the juicy deets of perfectionism, origin stories, all of that kind of stuff, I want to hear, I want to hear your origin story. Um, who are you? What do you do? Oh, good question. So I am a psychologist. I'm based in Florida and I'm a science fiction nerd. I love animals. I love music. I love the arts. I like to say that, you know, in addition to what I do to show that I'm more than just my work, because that's, that's so important to me to like help people realize that they're more than their work and to embrace all aspects of themselves. Um, what what do you want to know about my origin story? How did you get to be a psychologist? How was this a spark of passion for you? Was there a specific moment or was it just kind of a gradual interest? I, I always thought it was gradual, but then when I look back over my life, I see so many moments where it just made sense that I, you know, I got to this path. I was always the person that the friends, like my friends would talk to me about what they were going through. And it just, I just sort Mm -hmm. of went into that. But then, you know, there's so many ways to help people. You don't have to be a psychologist to help people. So what I think it was about psychology that I was drawn to was just stories. I've always been a reader and I loved reading, not just for the entertainment, but I loved analyzing and learning the stories of the characters and thinking about the motivations behind why they would do what they do. And it just sort of translated to real life now where I work with people and I hear their stories and, you know, I, I get to hear the parts of themselves that they might not want to share with the world. And especially perfectionists, they 
they want to hide some of those darker parts of themselves, even though those parts of themselves are really just as important and valuable as the other parts. I have two questions. One is regarding perfectionism. One is super not. So I'm going to do the super not first. Favorite stories, because I'm assuming there's more than one, but what are some of your favorite stories? You know, there's a lot of stuff going on with JK Rowling right now. And I want to separate that from the the stories, but Harry, Harry Potter was a huge part of my upbringing because it wasn't just stories, but it was also the fan community around that world, um, podcasts, online forums, um, midnight premiere parties, all of that. So I think Harry Potter played a huge role. Um, in terms of not just books, but in terms of TV shows, I love Doctor Who. Uh, it's a science fiction show with time travel. I love that. Uh, I love back to the future, a movie. I'm probably one of the few people I know who loves that, but just, just like the connection of the stories and how the, the, the past impacts the future. I mean, it's also relevant. Um, I just read Harry Potter for the first time, like the full, cause I, I, I watched the movies growing up and I would like pretend to read the, not pretend, but I would like try to read the books, but me and reading when I was younger was just like super disassociated. And, um, I finally sat down and like listened to the audiobooks all the way through in 2020. And it was one of those like skies parting angels singing. I was like, where has this been all my life? And I started listening to a podcast called Binge Mode. Do you know it? I don't. Morgan, I'm about to change your life and also give you a 70-hour project for you to listen to. <laughs> but yes, it is tell me. It it's so up your alley. So it's two people from the ringer. And um they are sitting down and they go chapter, basically chapter by chapter of the entire Harry Potter series. They dive into um, themes, into the foreshadowing of everything. But then my favorite part is they have a section at the end called the restricted section where they go into like, for instance, one episode is like, where did the Hogwarts Express come from? The whole story behind that. How do you become an animagus? Like all of these different things. And I'm like getting chills thinking about it. I've listened to it all the way through probably three or four times. It is so good. It's so funny. It's two Ravenclaws Ravenclawing. It's amazing. Um, but I highly recommend. They also have it for like Game of Thrones. Um, they have it for all of the Avengers stuff, uh, Star Wars, everything. It's chef's kiss good. It's so good. Amazing. I love that. And I, I love when people can get together and talk about those things. Yes. Same. Yeah. I'm right now, um, I'm a big fantasy reader, right? And so I'm right now deep in a fantasy book series. But the issue is that it's been out for a while and I'm like kind of in the middle of it. And so like I have to like dodge spoilers on the internet like a fucking ninja. Like it's so funny, but um, stories are so important. My yeah. second question for you, which is regarding perfectionism, and that is, was there any like, cause I know when we're, when we're professionals or when we're like high achievers, like, you know, you and I have talked about, there's that side of us that doesn't love giving the, I'm going to call it nerd, but very enduring, enduring term is what I mean by that. Giving the nerd the time of day. Cause it's quote unquote unproductive. Did you ever feel any of that? Not lately, but I definitely felt that a lot in grad school and early on, you know, in my career, I, I would feel guilty if I wanted to read a book at night that wasn't related to Mm -hmm. my work. And I would think this is a waste of time. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be advancing myself in my career. But that really led me to feel dissatisfied in my life because I wasn't 
you know, I wasn't nurturing that part of myself that I really valued and really made me who like makes me who I am, like that nerd Mm -hmm. part of myself. So it's a lot easier now to do that because I really appreciate the value of what it does for me. And it just, it also, when I'm able to do that, I perform a lot better in my work. Yeah. Was there a switch that happened that took you from feeling the guilt to now knowing that it's refueling? I'm hitting you with some heavy hitters. (laughs) I appreciate you doing some deep thinking. Yeah. I would say maybe about two years after grad school, Mm -hmm. when I sort of got out of that student mindset, I think that also really impacted me feeling like I was always trying to learn or always trying to impress others. You know what, actually thinking about it, maybe it's when I became my own boss in my own business. And I didn't necessarily have a boss anymore that I had to work for. Because I guess my nature is when I have a boss, I feel like I have to impress them or I have to make sure I'm always on or always doing, you know, good enough to, to achieve. Yeah. Why do you think that is that we do that? Cause I'm, I'm very similar. One of the reasons that I don't think I can ever work for someone ever again <laughs> is that reason. I know. Why do you think we do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say in general, people do that because like the people who do that tend to be the really, you know, high achieving kids who get a lot done, who get the awards, who get the praise. And they're always told that they're doing such a good job. They're, they might not be rule breakers. And so they just learn early on that that's, you know, that's who they are. And so they take on that identity. And then once you take on an identity like that, especially so young, it's really hard to break out of that because it becomes ingrained in us. What are some identities that you took on? I'll share some of mine too. You know, I would say people pleaser Hmm. in a certain way. I definitely didn't want people around me to feel disappointed or I didn't want to do something that would then make other people upset or hurt somebody in some way. And over time, I've definitely learned that putting my own needs and my own boundaries first, it doesn't necessarily, like if somebody's upset by that, that's okay. They could be upset by that. I'm going to retweet and also say, I think people pleaser was a big one for me. I'll also put, this sounds terrible now thinking back to it, but like stupid or unintelligent or um, not academically motivated, which is ironic because now being an intelligent researcher is very much a part of my identity. But when I was younger, um, like I, I couldn't read out loud. Like I actually just posted, um, it was, um, shared, it was shared a post of someone else's that was basically like, the reason we have anxiety is because you were asked to read out loud in class and you'd like count back. That's exactly how back to see like where you are. And then you'd practice and make sure you did it right. Like I would literally have anxiety attacks going into those types of um, heavy air quotes exercises. Um, or I just leave the class altogether and go to the bathroom and pretend that like I disappeared for basically a while. But, um, I, for me, reading anything academic, I just like could not get, I couldn't get it. Um, I think also being a bullied kid was was a big part of that. So I didn't feel like it was a safe environment for me to learn. But um, it's funny how those identities can can latch onto us. There's still some times where um, I have those moments where it's like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. And my husband literally like looks at me and he like, he whips his head my way. And he's like, no, like stop, please never say that about yourself. Cause he's, He's 
my biggest supporter and my biggest catcher of negative limiting beliefs that I love him for it. But, um, it's funny. It's funny how we do that. Mm -hmm. And it gets stuck in us. And, and it's so sad if you think back to the kids who are experiencing that, like, and especially when we were those kids, like it's awful. Yeah. Well, I think, especially nowadays, like I, I, I worry pretty deeply because I don't know if you've seen the articles and the research on like how kids nowadays are like so afraid to have free time or so afraid to not have the most extracurriculars or the most AP classes. And it's like, we as adults are already battling the busy disease and now it's being forced on high schoolers and and middle schoolers and I even saw like elementary schoolers are now dealing with this. And it's just like, that breaks my heart. Not only because it's like, they don't know what it is to be bored, which I think is very important, but it's also like, it's never going to be enough. Uh, Brene Brown calls it the ra- the race to nowhere. Like, oh, duh, duh, God, <laughs> like, it's terrifying. Yeah. I know it's so awful. And then they when they do that, they don't get to explore other parts of themselves. They don't get to nurture that creative side or have that boredom where they could just see what comes up for them. So many times when I've worked with teenagers who, you know, have those tendencies, I, it's almost like a, it was a goal for them to fail something so that they could see they could fail something and everything will still be okay. How was that process? I don't know if you can share, but what was that process like? Like, did they react in a certain way that was like, oh my God, I can't do that? Like, was there oh was yeah, there- nobody ever nobody ever wants to fail. And <laughs> and you know, I, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to fail a class because especially, you know, with applying to colleges, but just making yeah. trying to figure out where they could lighten up in certain areas and make mistakes and just be okay with it. Was there a common denominator, like a certain area that tended to show up more than others? Or in was it aspect? all? Like um, you said, like that, uh, where, in what areas they can lighten up, were there certain areas that tended to be more popular or was it all super personal to the, to the student? I've I've noticed taking on too much. It's like not having to say yes to everything, like being okay, Mm -hmm. saying no to something and knowing like, it's okay that you're not going to do that. Not necessarily a mistake or something, but it's still understanding that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to take everything on. I think that's something a lot of us struggle with. I don't know about you, if that's something you oh, struggle yeah. with to this day. I still do. And it's it's hard for me. Like, for instance, someone reached out to me a few weeks ago and was like, hey, like, I'd love to, you know, get a coffee date with you and I on the calendar. Like, is there any way that, you know, um, you're free X, Y, and Z time? And I was at the point where I was like, you know what? Like, I I know myself and I know that if I take this on, I'm like, I am not going to have that free time or I'm not going to have that space to work on something that's in, in my chapter of life right now, a higher priority. And I said no to that person, but my, my hands were shaking Morgan, like actually shaking when I was writing back. And it was a part of me. It was like beating myself up for a second. Like, Oh my God, you've done this work, Nicole, you know how to not be a place. But there's still so much of that part of me that wanted to say yes, just to make them happy. And I'm wondering what are some things you do or what are some things you practice to help combat that like inner people pleaser? Mm-hmm. And I don't even think it's just about wanting to make them happy. I think it's also the fear of what you might be missing out on if you don't say yes to that opportunity. Oh, that's good. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I think it really comes down to trust in yourself 
that it'll be okay. And you'll be able to navigate what will happen if you don't do that thing, or if that person's upset, or if you miss out on something. Mm. What are some ways you practice under trust? That's a both, but a a beefy topic. (laughs) I, I mean, I'm definitely not a master at it, but I just try to remind myself of it. And I'll literally just like repeat to myself, it'll be okay. I trust that I could handle what will happen. And it might not feel very good. I might feel very anxious or uncomfortable, but I sort of sit with that because that feeling doesn't last forever. And I like to practice a lot of mindfulness as well. How do you practice mindfulness? I'm just, I'm, there's like 40,000 questions. I'm I'm just really curious. Yeah. So me personally or in general? You personally. Let's go that first. I like to, my favorite thing to do is walk my dog and be fully attentive to her and what's going on around us. So not have like a podcast or an audio book in your ears or anything? Yeah. Uh No. But I also can't, I also can't do that because my dog's a little reactive. So I also have to be aware to make sure, you know, if anything comes up, I, I have an eye on her and stuff so I could hear things, but, but yeah, I also, I really try to be present. Hmm. What are some other ways you see people practice mindfulness? I can even share a few of mine if that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know people like to journal. They like to practice breathing. Um, focusing on their senses uh, when they're going to bed or when they're eating, just, you don't, you know, people sometimes think you have to meditate to practice mindfulness, but you really don't. It could even just be 20 seconds of being in the moment. Yeah. Some ways I, I retweet everything you just said. And some ways that I've worked on it recently is like, so for instance, for the wedding, um, it was deeply important to me to be present um, yeah. as much as possible. I didn't, go out of the way to say, I'm going to be a present hundred percent of the time. That's just shooting myself in the foot, but at least as much as possible and not get into the like, okay, what's next? Or, okay, what do I need to do? Or what is that person doing? Da, 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 da. So um, one of the things I did, especially the day before the wedding, because that was the day that just like everything was like, okay, this has to happen. This has to happen. This has to happen. Is I went upstairs to uh, in this big house that we were all staying at and I plugged it and I plugged in some, um, like just numbing, not numbing music, but not stimulating music, like meditative music is the best way I can put it. And I put my legs 90 degrees up the wall where my back was on the ground and my legs were up in the air. And I just laid there for like 10 minutes. And at one point, Brett, my husband came in and he saw that I was doing that and he got on the floor and he did it with me. And we just kind of laid there, the two of us together it was lovely. And we just chatted for a second of just like, okay, like, how are you doing? Like, let's do it. Let's do a check-in. And that was such a special moment during the weekend. Cause there was a lot of chaos that day. And that was a check for us to slow our heart rates down together for us to take a moment to breathe and remember, like, this is a once in a lifetime weekend. Like let's have fun. Let's enjoy it. And it just, it brought us back to our values. So that legs up the wall thing, woof, woof, it has been so helpful and so weird. I never would have expected it, but I have to give credit where credit is due to my therapist who taught me that. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. That's amazing. You, I think I remember reading that somewhere that like, I think there's some real scientific benefits to doing that. I don't know what they are, but I know that that they exist. I, I know I know a minimal amount of fun. The big the big things are when you're like anxious or worried, um, you know, you start breathing 
like kind of up in your chest and blood flow just kind of gets a little halted. And as a result, you're not getting as much blood flow to your and oxygen to your brain, which means you're not able to think as clearly. Da, 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 da. So when you put your legs up the wall, it changes the directional blood flow of your body. It since it's like moving down into your but waist up, I guess, since, you know, gravity is pulling it from your legs. Um, it's able to circulate more and then you're able to slow your breathing down, move it to more diaphragmatic breathing and, um, get more oxygen to your head. That is a very, very high telescope, not high, uh, high scope look at it, but that's what I gathered from the information that I read. Cool. I'm going to so try cool. that later today. <laughs> I so recommend it. It's amazing. Yeah. And anyone listening, I recommend it too. So I'm, I'm want to take a bit of a, bit of a pivot, but, um, I, and you, you, and I am sure are very similar on this thinking. No one's an overnight success that does not exist. What are some things that happened on your way to being this incredible business owner to being this person who values, such deep relationships. That's like the first thing I got from you, which was amazing. What were some paths along the way that were quote unquote imperfect? Well, I think everything's still imperfect to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't feel like, I I don't feel like necessarily a success. Um, Definitely a lot of imposter syndrome has shown up for me and in my work. Um, so I, do, you know, I do so many different things, not just individual therapy, but then I have this online side of thing. Well, my individual therapy is online, but I have online courses and I, you know, we worked together in the bundle a few months ago and mm-hmm. I still, I still always feel very new and no matter what I do. And I'm starting to think maybe I'll always feel that way. And maybe that's also not a bad thing. Maybe then it gives me that passion to keep learning and growing because I'm not just accepting well, I don't want to use that word because I think acceptance is important, but not just settling with where things are, like realizing yeah. there's always more I can learn and, and grow from. But I think imposter syndrome definitely shows up. I think that's a big thing among us, like uh, strivers, high achievers is like, I never want to be complacent, you know? That's the word. Yeah. I think, I think there's such a fear of complacency. And I think that complacency in high achievers is kind of syn- synonymatic. That's not a word. Synomic. It's synonyms with here we go. <laughs> it's it, synonyms with mediocrity. I think in a lot of our minds, and for a lot of the high achievers I know, the fear of being mediocre is deep. And I don't know why that is. And I'm I'm curious because I do want to go to like origin stories of perfectionism. Do you do you have an idea of why mediocrity is such a big fear for so many people? Usually people who are high achievers, they start achieving in some way early on. And so they, in their mind, they view that that success or the achievement is equal to them being loved or worthy. Mm-hmm. So they form this belief that they have to keep performing and doing well to be worthy. And then the second that they're just average or like everybody else, they're not special anymore. They're not going to get that love or that, that attention anymore. And they might not be consciously thinking this. It's more of an ingrained sort of pattern. And then that shows up. I'm not a parent. But is there something we can do as parental units of some of whatever sort, guardians, aunts, anything that can help counteract that while still like this, this is honestly the big question that I have before becoming a parent someday is like, how do I instill this understanding that 
you're allowed to grow. You're allowed to enjoy growth and strive for more while still knowing that you are enough at your core. Like, how do you do that? Well, there's no such thing as a perfect parent, but I think the point. one of the best ways to do that is to model it yourself. Because if it's oh. hard for you to do that for yourself, <laughs> it's going to be really hard to show it to a kid. How can we do that for ourselves? Because that's still something I'm figuring. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that good enough is okay. We don't have to be perfect. We could just be good enough. You know, there's um, a psychological theory, you know, called the good enough mother that a baby if it's you know crying and anxious it only really needs to be you know i might be getting the numbers off but really needs to be nurtured and supported by the mother 30% of the time to have a good psychological outcome and because you also want them to have a little bit of anxiety you know to learn how to cope with it but they don't need that yeah. 100% attentive mother all the time i'm those numbers might be off, but try to view this more as like okay. a metaphor. Like good enough, like good enough, the good enough mother and everything's still okay. Good enough work and everything's still okay. Good enough cleaning around the house and everything's still okay. Just like recognizing areas in our life where things can be good enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a friend who's an attorney who said to me, if things are just good enough, I wouldn't have been made partner at my firm. I had to be a perfectionist with some of these things. And I get that. I get that there's some areas that, you know, that is what we're going to strive for. I still don't think perfection is real, but I mean, I get it in that area that you, you might want to be a little more detail oriented, but she didn't have to do that with getting mad at her husband for not loading the dishes the way that she likes it. Like there's different ways to balance it. Yeah. Oh God. There's so many things that I want to touch on with that because There is so much, and I know I want to talk to you about like, what are some benefits we have from perfectionism? And I guess this is actually a good time to dive into that. Like when it comes to perfectionism, like your friend who wouldn't have been made partner if it weren't for that. However, I think that there's a way we can do it without being self-flagellating, you know, like, because a lot of high achievers I'd say at worst, hate themselves at best, tolerate themselves. And I'm quoting that from Tim Ferriss because he says it flawlessly. Um, At worst, hate themselves at best, tolerate themselves in order to get to the next level, in order to push harder, work more. I'm not there yet. Therefore, I'm not successful. How do we live into the benefits of perfectionism without living into that? And this is, again, this is something I'm still figuring out in my head. So I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on this. Sometimes perfectionists, they do things because they're motivated by the fear of failure. But I think if we're able Mm -hmm. to shift it so that we're motivated for the excitement of the success, then it could lessen that pressure on us and not impact us as much. When you talk that out further, oh my God, you just dropped a bomb. I love this. Yeah. So yeah, perfectionists, they do these things because they don't want to fail or they don't want to look bad or they don't want to make mistakes. And so that's when things, you know, we burn out, we overwork, we people please, we don't have strong relationships and that like, yeah, we might get the things done, but we're feeling kind of, you know, crappy afterwards. But if we shift it so that we're doing something because we're excited about what the outcome could be, or because we enjoy the process, it just lightens it a bit. And we're not so focused on how it will negatively impact us. 
And we also are more receptive to criticism or, you know, constructive criticism and ways that we can grow rather than viewing mistakes as failures. Wow. <laughs> I'm like just marinating on that. That's yeah. really, really hit home in a way that I never heard it said like that before. I love that. Um, I, yeah, I need to sit with that. That's so good. We'll get back to the show in just a second. But before we do, I have a quick request. If you've ever gotten any value from the show and you want the show to continue to grow, to continue to address different areas of perfectionism, and to access bigger and more knowledgeable guests, my simple request is for you to leave us a rating and review. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, those ratings and reviews do go a long way in attracting more podcasters and bigger guests to the show. Plus, candidly, it's like the biggest hug that you can give to your favorite podcasters. I'd love to see a rating and review from you. And if you're an overachiever, like basically everyone who listens to the show, and you want to take a screenshot of your review after you post it, you can share it to your own social media audience and tag me. I'm at Life Coach Baker. I will literally love you forever and share it with my audience too. So again, if you haven't already, please give us a quick rating and review. It really does help. Alrighty, let's get back to the show. What are some other benefits you see from perfectionists? detail oriented. And, and, you know, it really does serve us well, because we get things done, we're able to succeed. People, you know, a lot of friends might rely on us to plan things, to organize things, you know, perfectionists are typically good hosts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, perfectionism, like anything else is on a scale, like it's not bad. To, it, it's about having a balance and having it show up in ways that help us. For those who don't know, I just raised my hand for all of that because whoa, buddy is like, you know, I, I, I'm going to Europe for the first time next year. And I think I might be just as excited to plan the European vacation as I am to physically go on the European vacation. And if that doesn't tell you anything about myself, that is 100% the key to my soul. But that's also amazing because then you get to really enjoy the process. Like you're not just looking at the end goal, you're enjoying the journey. And you might not be planning thinking, oh no, I don't want to mess everything up. But you might be planning thinking, I'm so excited to do all these things. It's a little different there. The way you just said that just unlocked something so deep. Like I think that so much of, and you said this earlier, I think it was just said in a different way that like really hit my soul. It's like we we so often are going after goals because especially a lot of people listening to this podcast are big old goal getters and multiple goals at one time. And they're wondering why they're not further ahead in all of them. And I think one of the biggest things is we are so focused on dropping in at the end result. I call it level 100 of the goal, the finish line, the whatever. We're so focused on just immediately dropping into there that we don't focus on, okay, what's my first step? And I think that's a lot of the reason why we procrastinate. I think it's a lot of reason why we get overwhelmed and we need to numb out because, oh my God, how am I going to, I don't know, write a book? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to get a publisher. I don't know how to write 20,000 words or I don't know. That's a lot of, that's a lot of book, but like, I don't know how to write like a whole book. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do the publishing. I don't know how to write a cover, blah, 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 blah. You know what? TikTok's fun. Let me scroll through TikTok for a minute. And is that something you you deal with or you see often? Oh, yeah. It's so much easier to procrastinate and avoid something because then you don't have to worry about the mistake that you're going to make. 
It's easy. Do you to think that comes from that. a similar childhood pattern as like the high achiever striver, or is that? Do you think that's a different one? I'm not sure. That's I think okay. it could show up definitely as you know the striver who doesn't want to make that mistake, but then they might procrastinate but still get it done. But then there's also the perfectionist who don't aren't necessarily high achievers, and but they still have those high expectations for themselves. And they'd rather be a failure because they didn't try than be a failure because they did something and made mistakes. I'm going to ask you to talk that out more because every I know so many people listening to this podcast who are just like, oh God, she sees me. <laughs> so seen. Can you talk that out more? Yeah, because I guess if you think about it, if you failed because you didn't try, it's not really saying anything about you. You just didn't do something. But if you did something and you made a mistake and messed up, that's that could hit closer to home and more about who you are. I feel like that, I'm going to call it a limiting belief for lack of a better term. I feel like that limiting belief is so deep in someone's core. How do you, I'm going to say get someone out of it, but I don't know if I love that phrasing. Um, How do you change a pattern like that in someone's psyche? Mm -hmm. Through the work that I I personally do, I think a lot of change comes from true awareness and insight, and then intentionally trying to make the changes that you need to make to not have that pattern impact you as much. But it really comes from exploring the roots of why it even formed to begin with Hmm. from the way that I work. And there's so many different ways that people work that I think are just as amazing. Yeah. I... I have a few more questions I want to ask you. And the first one is if someone knows that there is some deep seated internal stories, internal dialogues that they're telling themselves from childhood, it's experience, little T, capital T traumas that really led to a higher perfectionistic tendency in adulthood. What are some tools? What are some resources that people can use to heal that, heal the, heal the past? I know that's like such a loaded term, but like, What are some tools that people can use to do that? You know, of course I'm biased, but I'm going to say go to therapy. I'm going to retweet that hard. (laughs) Yeah, Because when it comes to that deep stuff, it's really hard to do that on our own. And, you know, we could get the self-help resources or the books or the podcasts or the, you know, the workbooks. And that's really helpful in helping us gain insight. But I think to have that true healing, we need a professional to help support us. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the, the excuses for lack of a better term again, is going to, for, for going to therapy that I hear is like, Oh, I can't afford therapy. I can't afford therapist. I can't do that. And I, I had that belief for a really long time. I'm going to, I'm going to call myself out. And it wasn't until my husband actually sat down and was like, let me like, look at our benefits real quick and like, see what, see what's up that he found that for us to do virtual therapy separately, not together, but like for us to be able to do that, zero dollars and zero cents out of our pocket because it counted as like telehealth. And I'm like, let me be frank, I don't have great insurance. Like it is not like the cream of the crop. It is like, this is emergency insurance just in case shit. And I was floored. And like the next week I had my first appointment. So a lot of us have the story in our head that like, oh, I can't afford it. It's not in my wheelhouse start looking up your benefits because you might be surprised. I know some people who it's like 25 bucks or something like that. Like it can Mm -hmm. be a lot more affordable than we think it is in our head. 
Yeah. And look for local community mental health centers or universities because there are psychology training programs. So like I I was in one of those and we had a clinic where people could come see students for therapy. And I think they paid maybe $8 a session. And the students, like you, the students have a supervisor. So it's not like they talk about you in the case of the supervisor. So it's almost like you're getting two therapists for the price of one. And students are really good therapists because they're learning and they want to research. They want to make sure they're doing what they need to do. So don't, I, I definitely recommend seeing if, you know, there's student therapists in your area too. And how would you do, like just, general, you're blowing my mind right now. Like this is absolutely mind blowing. Would you just like Google like student therapy centers in my area or how would you do that? Or like you could uh, Google community mental health centers or university, university psychology centers or therapy centers. If, if you know you live near a university, you could just call their psychology program and even ask or their social work program or their counseling program. You know, there's more than just psychologists who do therapy, which is great. I am getting my mind blown right now. I never would have thought of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Most people don't think of it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So therapy, number one, do you have any like I'm, I'm going to say that's number one through five is actually therapy. I know, I'm just yeah. like, all of those <laughs> top five. What, what are your other, like maybe someone's doing therapy and they want to, you know, shocking to hear this from this audience. They want to go above and beyond. Um, what are some other things they can quote unquote add on to therapy? Like all a cart. I don't know where this, <laughs> like where this is coming from, but I'm curious. I think a mindfulness practice is really important because it helps us get in touch with what we truly feel and believe in and be, and become more in tune with ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think if you're somebody who likes journaling, I think that could be really helpful. Um, you know, there's tons of books. It's about, it's about finding something that works for you. And I think it's also important to find something to channel maybe that creative side of your brain, because a lot of what we feel can come out in creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why art therapy is a thing, dance therapy, but you, you don't have to necessarily go to therapy to do that. You could just be creative on your own. I always forget about art therapy and like dance therapy, but I know that they're so important. I always forget about them. So thank you for bringing those up again. Um, I have two segments, questions that I ask everyone at the end of every episode. And number one is how I'm going to rephrase it a little bit as how, how I normally do. And that is how are you imperfect this week? So for the past couple of years, um, I've had like a family sort of like medical crisis going on. And right now I'm kind of out of that and I'm feeling a little bit of pressure to get back into this online business world and do all the things that, you know, they say to do, write emails, um, create content, all of that, but I'm not doing it because I don't want to, because it doesn't feel right for me in the moment. So I don't know if that's imperfect or maybe just not doing what is typically suggested. I think that is like, I'm going to say like embracing imperfection because like you're in the online business world. A lot of people listening are in the online business world. There are so many shoulds. You should be emailing your people once a week. You should be posting five videos and five carousels on Instagram and 10 stories a day. Like it's it's ridiculous. It's the only word I can think of for it. And Clark Kent himself couldn't even do the amount of shoulds that are supposed to happen in the business world. And yeah. one of the things that I've had to embrace pretty 
embrace aggressively, I guess is a good way of phrasing it. Like is what does it look like for me in this chapter? Cause like in this Ooh. chapter, posting five times a week, absolutely not. Like there's no way I can do that. However, posting three times a week and emailing once, I can do that in this chapter. But that's also because I am being very specific about how I spend my time and how I don't spend my time. And because of that, I think that's helped me a lot with with narrowing down the shoulds. But they're still loud. They're still I can't I literally can't I had to unfollow so many people on Instagram yes. because of the freaking shoulds. What, yes, I was just thinking that it's so hard when you see everybody else doing these things and you're like, oh no, should I be doing this too? 100%. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like our brain, and I, I've used this analogy a few times, but I feel like we, we're scrolling through social media. We see 50 different people doing 50 different things, going to fucking, fucking Italy, um, you know, going and getting a master's, um, launching a course, launching a freebie, launching a new business, hitting a certain figure in their business or whatever it is, like all these different like accolades. They, you see 50 different people doing 50 different things and us as one person suddenly feels behind in 50 different areas and feels like we need to catch up in those 50 different areas, which is effing impossible. And it's torturous. It's torturous. Do you have any boundaries you put around social media? I'm curious, or is that something you're figuring out? Well, I don't really use social media a lot for my business because I know I don't like it, but I know I love TikTok and I was feeling a lot of pressure from other therapists to go on TikTok for my business because, you know, they love it. But then I was like, I don't want my, I don't want to do that because I don't want my algorithm to be all about my work. I kind of have fun on TikTok. That's like a place to go and have watch funny videos and see what's going on. So I guess that's my boundaries that I just, I don't do it because I don't like it. It's funny you mentioned that with the algorithm and stuff. Cause like, I don't know if with you as a fantasy or excuse me, as a sci-fi reader, you get like a bunch of sci-fi videos on, or like, so since I started this new fantasy series that like Morgan, I can't even tell you, it has obsessed my mind. Like I, what is it? It's called A Court of Thorns and Roses, and it's like a oh, five yeah, book yeah. series. Have you read it? No, but it's I. It's on my list. I'm obs. I, I well, we can talk off air about it because I need to have a whole other <laughs> podcast episode about it. I'm literally dying. Just like my entire days are like, how fast can I get through my work so I can start reading? Like that's been the mo for the past two weeks. And it's funny because now, like on Instagram, all of my videos are geared towards that book series or like adjacent ones. And it's awesome and it's great, but there's a part of me that's like, oh God, like I feel guilty because I should feel like this, like, you know, I'm not keeping up to trends with my, and I literally like, I have the exact, like listeners, since this is an audio medium, she just like rolled her eyes. I had the exact same like (laughs) afterthought. It's like, okay, that was a first thought. We're going to choose a second thought. That's not disgusting. Like, um, so that that's just funny that you mentioned the algorithm. My second question for you is what is a goal that you're currently either pursuing or that you've recently finished that we can celebrate with you? I have decided in my online business to stop focusing so much on what I think people want and focusing more on what is fun for me to do. Ooh. If that makes sense. It does. Can you talk it out a little more? Yeah. So, you know, 
a lot of the stuff I was creating, I was like, I need to think about what, you know, I work with a lot of professionals. What did, what do they want? But then I was getting so caught up and making sure it really fit for them that it didn't, it wasn't fun for me anymore. So now I'm just going to talk about the things I like to talk about, teach the things I like to teach. And if it, the people who want it will find it. What are some things that are like that, that like what I want to talk about, what I want to teach, what are those things for you? Really embracing our identity and who we are without giving up our work, like, or without feeling like, like we have to be somebody else totally different at work. Not feeling like we have to hide our identity. I know and I've said this like four times this episode. Our, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, can you talk about that a little more? Cause I, I think a lot of people need okay. to hear this right now. Yeah. Just having hobbies. We get so caught up in doing what we think we need to do that we don't have hobbies. Or then when we do have hobbies, we don't like them because we feel like we need to be perfect at them or that we need to have a goal or that we need to master it. Like if somebody wants to learn an instrument, they feel like they don't like it because they're not you know, progressing fast enough rather than just being in the moment and enjoying what that experience is like. Yeah. I think it was, um, maybe it was entrepreneur or Forbes. It was one of those big platforms wrote an article recently called the death of hobbies. And it's basically talking about how exactly what you're saying and adding to it. A lot of people now feel like, Oh, if I, you know, start being a crafter, I suddenly have to make it a side hustle. And like, I know for, for me, like, going back to reading and stories um for a minute i was like i was expressing to the the husband and saying like oh my gosh like i love this da, da, da. like and just like d- info dumping a story onto him that he has no idea what i'm talking about and has no interest in reading and he was like well like, why don't you start a podcast like you know kind of like binge mode like why don't you you know do that and i immediately like put a hand up and i was like no absolutely not and he was he was kind of like taken aback. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, that's totally fine. You don't have to. And I was like, here's why the second it becomes work, I, I will put on my recovering perfectionist hat and have to fight the, I need to be the best at this. I need to research this. I'm going to need to monetize this and da, 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 da. And I was like, that is so not what I want with this. Right. That's exactly why I didn't want to do that on TikTok. Yes. Then it wouldn't be fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. Morgan, you're awesome. Thank you. You're thank you. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Um, you have a gift for listeners. Would you like to tell oh, what it is? Yes, I do. So I created um, a Google Doc workbook. Uh, this way, it's something you could type directly on of about, I think, 14 journal prompts to, to help you explore the roots of your perfectionism and to help you reflect on that to gain some insight and awareness into it. I'm literally signing up for it right after this call. <laughs> I'm very excited to see this. Thank you. Um, and we'll put all the link and the links and everything for the show notes um, so that people can access that there. Thank you for making that. That is incredible that you have that. You, this was actually the first thing that I made thinking, let me make something that I want to make, not thinking about what you know I need to make perfect for everybody or what they might, you know, what might be popular. So yeah, oh, this is the first product of <laughs> That makes you so happy. Oh my gosh. Um, where can people find you? I know you're not super on social media, but is there a website where can people contact you and get to know you a little bit more? Yeah. So I have two websites because I, I have my therapy website separate from where I do like the courses and stuff. My therapy website is morganlevyphd.com. And then if you're more interested in courses or learning about that side of things, it's drmorganlevy.com. I'll probably merge them into one website in the future, but 
they both link to each other. So, and Amazing. if you want to sign up for my email list, you you'll do that by either signing up for the journal prompts or I have a quiz you could take. That's really how I communicate. What's the quiz? We love we love a good quiz here. Yes, what is the quiz? It's which obstacle is holding you back from optimizing your success in the workplace and beyond. Ooh, okay. And is that available on your website? Yes. Yeah. Sweet. And I'm going to drmorganlevy.com slash quiz. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Morgan, for being here. It's always a freaking delight to talk to you. I know. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you too. You're, you're amazing. Oh, golly. You are too. <laughs> Friends. Wow. Morgan's amazing. I freaking love her. Do not forget to go get those free journal prompts. They are in the show notes below. Do not forget to go get them. They're incredible. I actually downloaded them myself and started doing them after she sent them to me after the episode. They're amazing. And I hope you guys go follow and check out Morgan. She really is just such a good teacher in everything that she does. Sweet friends, thank you for listening. I so appreciate your time. Until next time, keep striving for imperfect success.